you can look on the front of your worship guide and you can see that we're in a series sharing good news. And that means today's, uh, that means today's message... That means today's message is relevant for everybody because everybody wants good news. Everybody wants to hear something that lands as good news. And if you hear something that is truly good news, nobody has to tell you to share it. I've been saying, if you discover the cure for some dreaded disease, nobody has to tell you to run up and down the halls of the hospital and announce that you found the cure for that dread disease. And today, uh, we're going to learn about uh, good news that is not always obvious. And I think some of you are going to find this helpful because some of you found this series a little annoying because we've been talking about good news and you're saying, uh, that's fine, and I know Christians talk about good news, but it doesn't always land for me that way. And so today, uh, we're going to get to some good news that's not always obvious. And good news is that way. Um, Sometimes good news looks like bad news. So it seems like bad news if you lose your job unless it means a better job is in store, but you don't know that at the time. It seems like bad news, maybe, and and it's painful if you break up with someone that you're dating, unless it means that you're going to next meet the person of your dreams. So sometimes good news comes in a package that feels like bad news. Good news can come in unexpected places. So today, uh, we're going to talk about finding good news in weakness. And already, I think we're feeling the cross-currents of that because everything in us tells us to summon our strengths and to hide our weaknesses and to avoid being weak. And so everything in us might say, I don't know, Nelson. And I want to say that you are going to probably resist the truth of today's message, because it's subversive, it's counterintuitive, it's paradoxical, and a lot that is inside of you, like a lot that is inside of me, is going to resist it. And so we have to all take a deep breath, and we have to just sort of dig in and say to ourselves, we're really going to try to receive uh, the news that is meant to be good news for us today. So along those lines, I'd like to pray one more time. Father, I'm overmatched uh, by today's text, um, but you can open our eyes to see things that are too marvelous for us really to understand, that are unexpected. We know uh, that Christ came as a messenger of the gospel, the good news, and we desperately need to hear good news today. And so I pray that you would uh, take uh, my meager offering, take what uh, all of us uh, have to engage with what's here and do something marvelous in our midst, we pray. Uh, For the sake of your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So if you were listening to Steve's reading, it's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And Paul, the author, is in a boasting match. Now, Paul doesn't like to boast, but he's in a boasting match. So Paul facetiously calls the people, the group that he's in a boasting match, 
match with the super apostles. So again, we're in Corinth, and that was a cosmopolitan city. It was the place where upwardly mobile people went, including upwardly mobile Christians. So among the Christians who streamed into the city of Corinth were former Jews from Jerusalem who took pride in their Jewish heritage. They were well-educated and good speakers. They often had stories to tell of visions and revelations from God. So Paul called them the super apostles because, by contrast, he felt like a meager apostle. And I feel a little like if you maybe uh, did work or work in an industry and there are just other people in your industry that are just better than you are at whatever it is that you do. And so you're always looking and you're always feeling sort of less than based on these other people that you perceive uh, are so much better than you at what you have been called to do. I have to feel that Paul felt something along those lines. He felt discouraged um, because uh, there was so much about his life. So listen to this. You know, the super apostles engaged in mudslinging. They tried to undermine Paul's apostolic authority. As Paul went throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel, the super apostles would come behind him and try to steal the new converts. So they claimed the gospel Paul preached was inadequate and needed to be supplemented. In 1 Corinthians 16, 5-9, Paul was delayed on a visit to Corinth, and the super apostles used it as an opportunity to say Paul was weak and unreliable. In, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tries to explain why his ministry lacked signs of outward success and blessing. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes five times he received 40 lashes minus one. He was beaten with rods and pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked and constantly in danger. He says he had gone without sleep and was hungry and thirsty. While being an apostle, he was cold and naked. And besides all that, he says he, daily he had to face the pressure of his concern for all the churches, as church leaders do. Paul has all these challenges, and he has these people undermining him. They were confident and physically healthy. Paul was timid in person and beset with physical ailments. So you have to understand, Paul uh, was living something that must have been very discouraging to him on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I have to imagine, if I kind of put myself in Paul's skin, I might have been tempted to give up the ghost. You know, um, I don't know, all is lost. Uh, maybe Christianity isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe he doesn't see me. I wonder if you've asked questions like that. So here we're talking about good news, and now we're getting into a little bit of reality. So Paul is in this war of words with the super apostles, and as today's passage begins, he makes the case um, that he, like they, has had some uh, fantastic, phenomenal experiences, spiritual experiences. So let me put it this way, many uh, in our lifetimes have experienced the growing interest in outer space. And I can remember when Neil Armstrong first walked on the moon. And in the Bible, arguably, there are three men who went to outer space and returned. The Son of Man came down from heaven, John of Patmos wrote the book of Revelation detailing mysteries of heaven. And here Paul says, 14 years ago, I went up to the third heaven, and now I'm back. 
So in Bible times, people believed there were three heavens. There's the first heaven where there are the birds of heaven. There is the second heaven where there are the stars of heaven. Then there is the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. So are you with me? So Paul starts and he says, he's in this war of words, and he's saying, well, look it. I've had some of that stuff that you're boasting about. He says, I knew a man who had a third heaven experience. And he's talking about himself. And he goes on and he explains it. He says, whether it was in the, this is verse 3, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. This man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So Paul is saying, listen, I can compete on your own turf, but that's not what I want to do. And so Paul takes it an entirely diff different direction. And so look at verse 5 with me. He says, um, I will not boast, so I'm reluctant to boast, and if I have to boast, this is the only thing I'm going to boast in, I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So this is so unexpected. It's the kingdom of God is upside down and it knocks us off base and it throws our equilibrium off because everything about us says we want to avoid weakness and we want to hide our weaknesses and we want to summon our strengths and so Paul comes along and he says no if I'm going to boast I'm going to boast in my weakness so what's all that what's that all about so Paul goes on and it gets worse he says I want to give you an example of a thorn. And so in verse 7 he says, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So this is metaphorical, but it's a thorn. And if you look behind it, uh, probably like a barb or a briar, it pierced, it stuck, it drew blood, it was painful. But it's metaphorical. What was the thorn? Uh, Paul doesn't say. But some have wondered if it was among his physical ailments, because we know Paul did have poor eyesight, which would be cruel for someone who had to do so much writing. Some have speculated Paul had epilepsy. Some have wondered if it was some inadequacy of Paul. So Paul was called to preach the message of Jesus, yet in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says Paul was not a good speaker. And again, that's, that feels cruel, I think, to us if you think about it. Paul is called to preach, and yet he's not a good speaker. Why wouldn't God do something about that? So he's the butt of ridicule. And the super apostles were said to be very fine orators. So why would God leave him here? Verse 8, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take the thorn away from me. We have to understand, these weren't three little prayers prayed back to back. These would have been three intense seasons of pleading with God. God, 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 I'm doing all these things for you. I'm zealous for you. Please, 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 please do something about this thing that is so painfully difficult for me to contend with. 
And so here is the answer, verse 9. But God said to me, why don't we just read it together in verse 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I've been struck by this um, all week. What happens when any of us gets into a place of utter or extreme weakness? And one of the Bible passages that I love is 1 Kings, verses 18, 19, and 20. And that's where uh, the writer tells the story of Elijah. And Elijah had a clash with 450 Baal prophets. And afterward, Queen Jezebel threatened to hunt him down and kill him. So in 1 Kings 19, verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant while he went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, don't miss the imagery. He went deep into the wilderness. So we're in the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And this is what he prayed. I have had enough, Lord. And I find that strangely comforting, that this great prophet in the Bible gets to a point in his life, and he's saying, I've had enough. I've had all that I can take. And then he, uh, it says, he says, Lord, take my life. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And what I take that to mean is um, he stopped. And so I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that where you've, it's a wilderness experience and you've said something, you've come to the place in your heart of hearts where you've said, I've had enough, God. Enough is enough. I can't take any more. I've got no strength to go on. I think that's uh, a lot of what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us here. What, is, what to do in that spot. Does that make sense? What to do in that spot. So in today's reading... Uh, Paul is reflecting on experiences of extreme personal struggle. And back in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he writes, we were under great pressure, and here it is, far beyond our ability to endure. Do you see the likeness? Elijah, I've had enough. Paul, intense pressure, far beyond his ability to endure. But then Paul begins to interpret it. He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So here we go. What Paul is commending to the Corinthian believers is the cruciform life. When Jesus died on the cross, it looked like all was lost. You've got to give up the ghost. Mission over. Mission failed. Everybody unfollowed Jesus at that point until he rose from the dead. And so we're tempted to do the same. When something comes into our life and we get to the point where we say, I've had enough. I can't take anymore. 
we're tempted to say, well, God must not love me. God is not real. He must not be who he seems to be. This Christianity thing is over. But Paul says, um, not so fast. There's something else that is happening here. And so back to what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So I have had a uh, week that has not been the world's best week. And for various reasons, uh, there have been things that have been bringing me to the end of myself also, uh, just in terms of my strength. And so um, I'm off on Fridays, and I was out much of the day on Friday. And I came back uh, to the house, and Lisa said to me, she sort of met me at the door, and Lisa has known that I've had not the world's best week. And Lisa met me at the door, and she said, I've got some good news for you. Um, Dominion Energy came. Now, some of you know that uh, Dominion Energy had promised uh, a, a while back, I mean, there have been delays, but then they had actually given us a date, and they said, we'll hook up your power to the building by December 7th. And sure enough, uh, I'm sorry, I always say that, get my months mixed up. October 7th, we'll hook up your, your power by October 7th, and sure enough, Friday was October 7th, and my dear wife meets me at the door, and she said, Dominion Energy came. Now, you might say, okay, uh, we wanted that, and we're grateful for that, but here's what I want to tell you, and let me just tell you one more thing. Um, because of the nature of my week, I've been studying, and, but I haven't had much mental and spiritual space on the message, today's message. And after I had that exchange with Lisa, I just went up and I just sat down in my chair and I, I, because I didn't have a sermon. And you have to understand when you're a preacher, and it's Friday, and I didn't have a sermon. And, <laughs> and you have to understand what I mean by that. Uh, if you're a preacher, it doesn't mean I haven't studied the text. It doesn't mean I don't have a lot of thoughts. But somewhere in there, in the mystery of the Spirit, you need a sermon. Because there are more sermons than one sermon in, in a text. And what you're trying to do is to get to the sermon that you feel God has given you to preach. Do you understand the difference? And by Friday afternoon, um, I didn't have a sermon, and I didn't have the strength really to write a sermon or come up with a sermon. But I sat down in my chair, and I, I will just say, um, the, sort of the clouds parted, and I had a sermon. Now, it doesn't mean I still had to write it. <laughs> I still had to work it out. But the thing is, you need that core idea. You need that big idea. So here's what I want to say about that experience. You might say, well, these are just um, happy developments, or these are just developments that we get in life, and we have some bad things and some good things. But it was different for me. Because of the nature of the way things had been, because um, I have really gotten to the end of myself, uh, both of these bits of news, um, the news of Dominion Energy and the news that I, God had, I feel God had given me a sermon, this landed differently in me. 
it just landed in a place to say, this is God's provision. This is not my strength. This is God's strength. And you have to get to the point where your strength is sapped. You have no ability to go on. You've had enough before those things land in you the same way. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? You have to get to the end of yourself before God can do something beyond yourself. And so that's uh, the testimony that I have uh, to share. And so I think the Apostle Paul is saying to the Christian believers, there is actually a gift when you get uh, to this place of personal weakness. Some of you know the name Chuck Colson, and Colson was in Richard Nixon's presidential cabinet. And he went to prison for crimes committed uh, during Nixon's presidency. And Colson became a Christian in prison, and he writes this. The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into prison and see the faces of men and women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court as a, as a great attorney before being in Nixon's cabinet. That's not what God, God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of, the people, of other people is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. Do you understand what he's getting at? This is the upside-down world of the kingdom of God. The things that you think are your strengths, maybe your weaknesses, the things that, and the moments that are weaknesses may be the opportunity God's greatest strength. And so here's the thing. Uh, maybe you're here and you're not, I would kind of call it a full-on Christian in the sense that maybe you're here, but you kind of left the church at some point and you're not fully bought in. You're looking around at other versions of spirituality. And one reason may be that you were in the church once and you had some extreme personal struggle and what you did was uh, you sort of concluded that God wasn't who he said he was. But I think the apostle, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's saying, when we get to that very spot, when we get to the spot where we say, I've had enough, all my strength is gone, that is the moment where we lean in with faith and we lean in with hope. And we anticipate now that God will do something that is beyond your imagining or your understanding or anything that you could have done for yourself. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been going through some kind of trial. And you need to learn today uh, that God's grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean? It means God's strength. God's provision, God's power, and God himself is what he's giving to you. I think of it spatially. Uh, we live our lives and we get up, spatially, we get kind of up to the end. We get up to the limit of our own resources and abilities and tactics. And the question is, what do we do when we bump up against the end? What do we do when we get there? We can give up, 
We can say all is lost, but Paul is inviting us to say, hey, there's something beyond. There's something beyond there, and it's the place of faith, and it's the place of hope, and it's the place where God's power will be on display in the midst of your weakness. I think Paul's message is that um, God's power is attracted to weakness. Then you may say, uh, so we're looking at third heaven experiences, and Paul's saying third heaven experiences are one thing, but I'm telling you about a type of power that is even better. God's power is attracted to weakness. Sometimes we want God's power in the midst of our own personal strength. And he's saying, no, you've got to get to a place of your personal weakness before you can know God's power and God will come to your aid. So Paul concludes, verse 10. And again, this is subversive. We're going to resist it. We're not going to want it. We're going to think there's a different path. But look at verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in. And the word there really is, I am well content in. Weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. So friends, this is the subversive good news for the morning. Sometimes good news is found in not so obvious places. Sometimes good news first appears as bad news, but then we learn it's good news. And the subversive good news of the morning is this. God's power in our weakness. Be encouraged this morning and this week. I want to close by rereading First uh, Corinthians one eighteen, And maybe you'll just close your eyes and take this in. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Amen.